0: Welcome to this episode of the New Life Christian Fellowship Podcast. Here is your host, Pastor Eric Stillman. So we are currently in our Advent series. Uh, Advent is the time of year we look back at Jesus' first coming, look ahead to His second coming. And one of the themes of Advent is waiting. As the disciples or the people of Israel waited for the Messiah and as we look forward and wait for the return of Jesus. And so I've entitled this sermon series, Waiting on God. Waiting for the Messiah to come. And in this series, I'm going to be looking at some of the major times of the Bible where people had to wait. Last week, we looked at uh, Abram and Sarai waiting for the child of promise, and specifically at what happens when we, instead of waiting on God's blessing, try to manufacture God's blessing ourselves. Um, the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at waiting for the Spirit, the disciples waiting for the Holy Spirit, and then waiting for Christ's return. And then on Christmas Eve, we'll look at waiting for the Messiah. But this morning, we're going to be looking at waiting for the resurrection. I'm going to look at the time between Jesus' death and resurrection. And in some sense, that title is a misnomer because the disciples weren't really waiting for the resurrection. As far as they knew, hope was dead and gone as soon as Jesus was crucified. Everything they had lived for was buried now in this tomb. And one of the disciples had betrayed him and then in his remorse killed himself. Another disciple had denied knowing him and then just gone fishing Uh, just gone back to what he knew. The other disciples had either fled in fear or just just had gone back to their previous lives. As far as they knew, hope was dead. There was nothing to look forward to anymore. Everything they had spent their last three years working towards was now dead and gone. And so even though it might seem like a misnomer waiting for the resurrection, in some sense it's true because everything was dead and unless God was going to bring new life, unless God was going to resurrect their hope, everything was lost. So, in that vein, this morning, I want to talk specifically to those of you who feel like it's not so much that you're waiting on God's promises like we talked about last week, but you're hanging on by the slimmest thread of hope. That life maybe hasn't gone the way that you had planned, the way you had hoped, the way you had expected. You're dealing with the devastation, you're dealing with the pain, you're dealing with the suffering that's come as a result. And as we look at the story of the disciples post-crucifixion and the hopelessness they felt, I'm hoping that God, through his word, will speak to your heart and bring you some hope and encouragement this morning. Now, there really, truly aren't many stories where we see a glimpse of the disciples post-crucifixion before they meet the risen Jesus, but one of them is from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 32, so that's the one we're going to look at this morning. It's the story of a couple of disciples on the road to Emmaus. This is Luke twenty four thirteen to 32. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things he asked? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Let me pray before we continue. Father, prepare our hearts to hear and to understand and to take this into our hearts and into our lives. Lord, transform us as we gaze upon you meditate on your word this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, I want to use this passage to talk about not only the times the disciples waiting for the resurrection, but also the times in our lives when it just feels like hope is lost, when devastation has set in, when life has just not gone the way that we expected or hoped, and we're just not sure what to do or where God is. And I'm going to use three phrases from this passage just to help us to understand where to find hope in times like that. So the first phrase is this we had hoped. This is what the disciples said in Luke 24, 20 to 21. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped that this Jesus, powerful in word and deed, was the one who had come to save us, to redeem us, to rescue us from Roman oppression. We thought he was gonna be the Messiah sent by God and now he's dead. We had our hopes, we had our expectations, and they're gone, they're dead. They're buried in the tomb. Our hope is gone. There's many things in life, if you've lived long enough, that can crush you, bring you to your knees, knock the wind out of you, the death of a loved one, a serious illness or injury, loss of a job, financial catastrophe, physical sexual abuse, and so on, that so many injuries and things that can happen in our lives that just knock the wind out of our sails. Life does not always go the way we had hoped it would go. It's often very confusing, and faith can be just as confusing, trying to follow God. He does not always make sense, does he? We don't always understand what he is up to, why he allows the things he does. No matter how many three-point sermons preachers tell you, there's no formulas to the life of faith. It's not just do A, B, and C, and D will happen. Life just doesn't go the way you always planned it would go. I mean, what happens when you save yourself for marriage and then find out that nobody wants to marry you? Or you save yourself and you marry someone and find that the intimacy and love that you thought were promised to you don't happen. What happens when you train up a child in the way they should go, and then when they're older, they depart from that way? How do you make sense of things when you give generously to the Lord and to others? And instead of being rewarded for your faith, you lose your job and you wind up in financial trouble. What happens when you pray fervently for years for someone's healing only to have them die? Life is hard. Things do not always go the way that we had hoped they would go. There are no formulas to faith. One of the most unique Christian books of all time was written by a woman named Elizabeth Elliott, it's called No Graven Image. Elizabeth Elliott uh, is a missionary, a speaker. She's a very uh, mature and, and, and well read, well respected Christian woman. And in this book, she tells the story of a young unmarried woman named Margaret who dedicates her life to translating the Bible for remote tribes in the Amazon rainforest. And she begins working with the Quechua people in Ecuador. And the key person to her work is a man named Pedro, the only man in the tribe who knows Spanish and the unwritten language of the Quechuan people. And she works with Pedro and says one day in her book, Margaret's praising God for all that he's provided for her to do the work. She imagines what it's going to be like to bring the Bible to millions of people in the mountains. But then as she arrives at Pedro's home, she finds that he has an infected wound in her leg, in his leg. And she goes to provide medical care to him and gives him an injection of penicillin. And within seconds, Pedro experiences an allergic reaction. And despite her prayers and frantic tries at helping, he dies. And Pedro's mother accuses her of killing her son. And because he's the only connection, the, the translation work comes to a screeching halt. And she says, as for the translation, let me see if I... As for the translation of the Bible, of course, I cannot go ahead without an informant. God knew about that when Pedro died. I do not write prayer letters anymore, for I have nothing to say about my work. It seemed on the night of Pedro's death as though Finis were written below all I had done. And the book ends with a thoroughly confused Margaret standing at the grave of Pedro, wondering how God could let that happen and how she can go on worshiping this God. It's not the way most Christian books or movies on pure flicks end, right? I mean, you're used to the books and the, and the movies that end with, with the heroic ending and everyone turns to faith and it's a celebration. And she dared to write the story and it was offended many, many Christians and publishers who said, surely God would not allow this sort of thing to happen. But she was writing from her own experience. It was a, it was a semi-autobiographical story that she had been a missionary and the person who was key to her work was murdered. And after that, a flood happened and destroyed all the work that she had done. And then soon after that, she married a man, Jim Elliott, who took her along with four other missionary families into the Amazonian rainforest. And as those men went out to minister, they were murdered by those they were going to minister to. Sometimes life doesn't go the way you expect, even for those who are very mature in their faith. Sometimes all that's left is just cry out in pain and wonder, what are you up to, God? Bernard of Clairvaux put it this way. Oh, my God. I didn't put it up there. Oh, my God, deep calls unto deep. The deep of my profound misery calls to the deep of your infinite mercy. Again, the deep of my profound misery calls to the deep of your infinite mercy. I want to encourage you this morning, just as you look at the disciples saying, we had hoped, we had hoped that this Jesus was going to be the one to redeem us, but now he's dead. That It's okay to pour out your hearts to God. You know, the Psalms, there's 150 Psalms in the Bible, and 60 of them are classified as laments. That's what, two out of every five are laments. A lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. It's pouring out your heart to God, asking God, why have you allowed is psalm 13 we sang the second song we sang is a, is a classic lament how long O oh lord will you forget us forever how long will you hide your face from me think of psalm 22 my god my god why have you forsaken me why are you so far from saving me so far from the words of my groaning oh my god i cry out by day but you do not answer psalm 69 one through two save me O oh god for the waters have come up to my neck I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. Psalm 6, 2 through 3. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am faint. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord, how long? And Psalm eighty eight eighteen. You have taken my companions and loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. Isn't that incredible that those verses are in the Bible? Again, some of you may think, you know, based on the songs you hear, you know, on K-Love or the the, the the books you read, the sermons you hear, that life is supposed to be about like, you know, this amazing journey of hope and love and everything going swimmingly, you know, but that's just not the way it is. And these, the psalmist knew that. Two out of every five psalms are people crying out to God, where are you? Why would you allow this to happen? Trying to work through the difficulties of life, to come to a place of trust. And many of you are in that place, that place where the disciples were. We had hoped. I had hoped my marriage was going to be like this. I had hoped my kids were going to turn out like this. I had hoped by this time in my life, I would be here, but I'm not. It's not the way that I thought it was going to go. But thank God that's not the end of the story. The second phrase I want to share from this passage is this, Jesus explained to them all that was said in the scriptures concerning himself. From verses 25 to 27, Jesus said to them, how foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus, in disguise, comes up and walks with these disciples. And after they pour out their heart and they say, we had hoped that this Jesus was going to be the one to rescue us, but instead he's dead. And Jesus tenderly says, how foolish you are and slow of heart to believe all that the scriptures, the prophets have spoken. And he opens up the Bible and he explains to them everything that was said concerning himself. He teaches them. He opens their eyes to get a bigger vision. I mean, their hope was gone, but it wasn't gone because God had not come through, right? Their hope was not gone because God had somehow dropped the ball and forgotten what he was supposed to do. Their hope was gone because their hope was too small. Their vision was too small. Their hope was in something in this world. It was placed in the wrong thing. They had thought Jesus was going to come and rescue them from Roman oppression. They didn't understand that his death was part of what God was doing. As Jesus said, did not the Christ have to suffer these things? Was not his death part of God's plan? Hope's not gone, not at all. Your vision is just too small. Your hope is placed in the wrong thing. Let me explain to you, Jesus says, what's really going on here. Let me enlarge your vision, give you a bigger picture of what's going. Put your hope in something bigger. Let me say it again and listen closely. The disciples had an expectation and a hope that they had placed, but it was too small. They were hoping in something that was too small, expected something too small of God. And so Jesus had to come and enlarge their vision and show them that Jesus' death was not a mistake. It was not God dropping the ball, but it was part of something grander, something bigger that God was up to. Hope was not lost. That this was going to be part of a plan to save them, not from Roman oppression, but from sin, from death, from evil itself. I say this often, but I think this is one of the most important things that I could ever tell you. So I want you to listen closely as I say it again. That God never seemed more absent and unloving than he did on that day when he let his innocent son die on the cross. Right? Think about it. The disciples there looking at Jesus on the cross saying, where is God? How could any God allow this to happen? God never seemed more absent or unloving as he did on that day. What kind of father lets their son die an innocent death like that? God never seemed more absent or unloving than he did on that day. But now we look back and we know that God was never more present or loving than he was on that day. As the son of God hung on that cross, taking the punishment that we deserved, overcoming evil and Satan, making a way for us to be restored to a right relationship with the Father, right? God never seemed more absent and unloving than he was on that day. But now we look back and we can say, God was never more present, never more loving than he was on that day. And I say that to encourage you because you are all gonna go through times if you're not going through them now where God seems absent, where God seems unloving, where you don't understand where God is or what he is up to. And the best thing you can do is look to the cross. The best thing you can do is look to the cross and remember that even when God God seems absent and unloving, he is always present, he is always loving, he is always working for good. Again, listen to his word, Romans 8, 28 to 29. For my, that's not the passage I wanted. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God is always working for good. And that good is not the good that you think it is all the time. Your good might be a little too small for what God is doing. He says, God's good is much bigger than that. It's to conform you to the image of his son, to make you like Jesus. And sometimes what God is up to when he allows suffering is to prepare you to minister to others. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5 says, praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. Sometimes you just don't understand what God is doing, why he is allowing the suffering he is. But trust that God is always working for good and sometimes he allows things to happen to prepare you so that you will be equipped and able to minister to others out of what you've been through in a way that I could not, that others could not. Some of you who have lost loved ones are able to minister to the depths of someone's pain in a way that I never could. Some of you who have walked the road of cancer or mental illness are able to speak encouragement and comfort to others in a way that I never could or others never could. Sometimes the things that you go through God uses them to prepare you to minister to others. And even though in the moment you're like I don't understand where God is what he is up to, trust he's got a bigger plan. He's got a bigger vision. Consider these words from Brendan Manning and it's about a play by Thornton Wilder. He says this, there's a scene in Thornton Wilder's play, The Angel That Troubled the Water, the scene as a doctor comes to the pool every day wanting to be healed of his melancholy and his gloom and his sadness. And finally, the angel appears. The doctor, he's a medical doctor, he goes to step into the water, but the angel blocks his entrance and says, no, step back. This healing is not for you. The doctor pleads, but I've got to get into the water. I can't live this way. The angel says, no, this moment is not for you. And he says, but how can I live this way? The angel says to him, Doctor, without your wounds, where would your power be? It's your melancholy that makes your low voice tremble into the hearts of men and women. The very angels themselves cannot persuade the wretched and blundering children of this earth, as can one human being broken on the wheels of living. In love service, only wounded soldiers can serve. And so you can say along with Joseph in Genesis fifty twenty, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Elizabeth Elliot, who I mentioned earlier, she put it this way. Let me go back to her quote. God is God. If he is God, he is worthy of my worship and my service. I will find rest nowhere but in his will. And that will is infinitely, immeasurably, unspeakably beyond my largest notions, of what he is up to. Why are you suffering? Why has God allowed your circumstances? I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to answer why you're going through what you're going through. But I do know that it's not because he doesn't love you. Amen? It's not because he doesn't love you. Whatever the reason is, the reason is not that he has forgotten you. The reason is not that he does not love you. Look to the cross and be reminded of that. He proved it there on the cross that even when he seems absent and unloving, he is very much present, always working all things together for good. The last phrase I want to share is, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Beginning at verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. And then Their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Jesus breaks the bread and their eyes are open and they see it's Jesus. They recognize him and he disappears from their sight. For a minute, they recognize who it is and then he's gone. And they say, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? My prayer this morning, and as you look to the cross, that in your hopelessness, in your pain, in your suffering, that you would see a glimpse of your Savior there on the cross, broken for you. Catch a glimpse of his love for you. Catch a glimpse of his plan for you, of his presence with you. Even if it's just for a split second, the way it was for the disciples, that you would catch a glimpse and it would encourage your heart that he is present, that he does love you, that he is working for good, that he's got a bigger vision, a bigger plan than what you think. <clears throat> Nicholas Wolterstorff in his book, Lament for a Son, put it this way. Put your hand into my wounds, said the risen Jesus to Thomas, and you will know who I am. The wounds of Christ are his identity. They tell us who he is. He did not lose them. They went down into the grave with him and they came up with him, visible, tangible, Palpable. Rising did not remove them. He who broke the bonds of death kept his wounds. Love that. Catch a glimpse of Jesus this morning. I pray that you would catch a glimpse of Jesus on the cross, broken for you, dying for you, out of love for you. He's present. He loves you. He is at work. As we come to the table in a minute to celebrate communion, again, this is an invitation that his body was broken for you, his blood was poured out for you to restore you to a relationship with God, to bring you back to him. It's a demonstration of his love for you. It's a reminder every time we eat this bread and drink this cup of how much he loves how much He loves you. And I do pray that you would catch a glimpse of him as you come. you would see him, the one who loves you. Let me close with this one last verse. It's from Lamentations. Lamentations is a book that is a lament, a long lament, just about the fall of Jerusalem and just how crushed the Israelites feel at seeing their, their land, their city, their temple destroyed. And in the midst of that lament are these great verses, Lamentations 3, 21 to 24. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Let's pray. Lord, we come waiting to catch a glimpse of you. As we look to the cross, as we take this bread, take this cup, Give us a glimpse of you. Reveal yourself to us. Fan the flickering flame in our heart. Restore hope. Bring encouragement. Give us a greater vision of what you are up to. We need you desperately, Lord. And we thank you that you have proven your love for us on that cross. That you will never leave us or forsake us. That you are always working all things together for good for those who love you. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the New Life Christian Fellowship Podcast. We are located at 1155 Silas Dean Highway in Weathersfield, Connecticut and can be found online at newlife-ct.org. No redistribution or use of any kind of this recording is allowed without express written consent of New Life Christian Fellowship.